if you're protected, you don't have to be scared. You can respect it, but you don't have to live your life in fear. And I think that's really what's important to take away. I'm Cliff Shaw. And I'm Derek Kam. This is Fascinating People. On this episode of Fascinating People, Derek and I speak with Dr. Thomas Lee. Born and raised in Hawaii, Dr. Lee has a master's in public health and epidemiology, along with a PhD in epidemiology from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Dr. Thomas Lee also is a forecaster for HAIIMA, or Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, and has been frequently interviewed by local and national news outlets during the COVID-19 pandemic. In short, he's one of the go-to people for the facts and forecasts about COVID-19 in Hawaii. And did I mention that he's also a U.S. Army reservist, an avid CrossFit trainer, and a father of a baby girl? In our talk with Dr. Lee, we discuss a wide range of issues around COVID-19 to get a clearer picture of where we're headed and what we can do on both individual and collective levels to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. No matter where you stand on vaccines, masks, and mandates, you'll want to listen to this episode to learn what you need to know about COVID-19 right now. On the last day of 2021, December 31st, we recorded this podcast with Dr. Thomas Lee, epidemiologist. I hope you can take from this a few of the lessons that we have. Dr. Thomas Lee, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me, gentlemen. It's, it's always a pleasure. Good morning, good morning. Okay, so you said you were mentioning earlier that you wanted to lead in with a thought for us all. Yeah, and I think you may have touched upon this the last time we we talked, but I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing or not seeing, depending on how you look at it, is the difference between a healthy respect for what's going on, a healthy respect for Omicron, what it doesn't do compared to Delta versus fear, the fear of Delta and, and the fear of Omicron and the fear of COVID. And I think once you look at it from that lens, a lot of actions or inactions make a lot of sense. So the way I look at it is, hey, I, I, I spent a lot of time reading about it. So I respect it. I respect what it can do. Hmm. But after that, I because I know what it can do, I also know what it can't do. And therefore, hmm. I'm able to do things, live my life with the ones I want to live mm-hmm. without fear. And, and therefore I feel a lot, I feel a sense of freedom personally okay. with my actions and, and, and also, but not, and what I want people to understand is that doesn't mean that I'm carefree or I'm just saying COVID doesn't exist. I'm able to live safely, but live freely within, with my actions and not feel guilty by not wearing a mask, for example, outside when I'm not by myself or hanging out with friends who I know are safe and are vaccinated uh-huh. versus just living a sense of fear of not doing anything or just staying at home because you're so scared of getting COVID when if you're protected, you don't have to be scared. You can respect it, but you don't have to live your life in fear. And I think that's really what's important to take away based on what I'm seeing both from individuals in the at home, but also different messaging that's coming across 
across the political landscape. So can you unbox that a little bit for us? Starting from the top. Okay, so the two variants, mm -hmm. Delta versus Omicron, like what's the difference? Yeah, so two major differences. Delta results in more severe health outcomes across the age spectrum. We're seeing about, I want to say at least a three to four time, a three to four fold increase in hospitalizations for Delta than we're seeing for Omicron. So one, depending on how you look at it, we're past, Omicron is less severe. So we're past that hump, but Omicron is about two to three times more infectious than Delta, which means that it spreads much more quickly amongst the population and people who got the original strain or who got Delta theoretic potentially, and we've seen it can also get Omicron. But if you do get Omicron and you either have recovered from COVID recently, or you're vaccinated, you're very unlikely to develop severe enough symptoms that will land you in the hospital. So those are the two major differences between Delta and Omicron. So you're saying, wait, maybe I didn't hear you, but what I heard is, so I didn't get the booster. Mm -hmm. And so if I get Omicron, I might end up in the hospital. There, there's always, so there's always a chance you could end up in the hospital regard, regardless if you're unvaccinated or you're booster. There's more to this calculus than just the vaccine, right? Your age, you're not that old. You're, if you have comorbidities, you're not obese, you're not diabetic, you're in good shape. So all in all, you're fine. So what I say is there, there's a lot to unpack here, but if you're two, if you have your two dose MRNA, Moderna or Pfizer, you're still highly protected against going to the hospital. However, you have a greater chance of getting Omicron. But like I said, based on you, age, Derekam, healthy individual, you're still highly unlikely to develop severe enough symptoms to go to the hospital, even though you have a greater chance of catching Omicron. Because once again, people have to stop associating getting COVID, getting Omicron in this day and age as a life sentence, because it's really not. So it sounds like the flu. It's getting there, right? It can, with the treatments that we have, with the preventative measures that we have, with what we understand now, we are, we should be starting to consider it more like the flu, more like the cold. That doesn't mean that we minimize it. That just means we recognize what's going on in, in the individual system in terms of Omicron and its impact. Now, population is a little different, but yes, we're reaching the point where it's becoming endemic and, and that's a good thing. I feel like we've just been played, man. So I thought I've been really, I thought really hard about this is, and it comes back to disrespect versus fear. In the initial response in 2020, early 2020, even me, I, when we are dealing with something in the unknown, respect, we respect it, we over-respect it be out of an abundance of caution. But what should have happened was as we learn more, we evolve our response so that we change our messaging. It's, it, we continue to respect it without the fear. We're fearful of the unknown, which makes sense. But as we learn more, we can adapt our response. But I looking, doing a, a postmortem, I think we've maintained 
that the same level of fear without where I think as time passes, as we learn more, the fear should have decreased, the respect should have stayed the same and even increased, but that would have allowed a, a healthy balance of a individual response and a political response, but we didn't see that because the communication of the education of what we have continued yeah. to learn about COVID yeah. wasn't there. So I'm gonna say something super offensive. I used to think it was a conspiracy because I'm crazy like that. And frankly, it's a little bit of big pharma in this whole play. But I'm starting to think now, like, it's just people just aren't that bright. Like, those who are making the calls are just stupid because they're not going with the data. Yeah. So I will take a step back and generalize it to the population the global population, let's just say, because it's easier to, it's not, it's easier to not offend people if you just generalize it that large. So once again, to have a respect for something, for an enemy, let's just say, let's just say you're wrestling, you're doing jujitsu, right? You don't fear your opponent, but you respect your opponent. And that's a big difference. But respecting your opponent requires the ability, your ability to be proficient in your craft, in whatever field. And then when we're talking about COVID, you, that doesn't mean you have to be a, a PhD scientist, a PhD epidemiologist, but you have to know the basics. You have to understand a little bit of biology. Right? You have to know what a cell is, what a virus mm. is. But that's not hard. That's stuff we learn in middle school and high school. We should be learning anyway. Well, sort of. I mean, it's it like, like, yeah, like I see what you're saying. Like I'd show up in this room and I'd be like afraid a little bit because I don't know what you guys are talking about. But once, yeah, and that's true. We can't assume, and as a public health professional, I can't assume everybody has the same educational. I have no clue. Uh, but however, that's where you're supposed to have proficient leadership across both the political spectrum, but also the, the scientific spectrum who have the ability to communicate clearly in a way where people understand and respect, but not are fearful. And I think that is something that was not done very well. If you look at any if you go to any master's level, if you just are a course that introduces you to crisis management to an emergency response, the very first thing you learn is how to communicate clearly, right? This is what we don't know, but here's what we do know. And we will continue to update you as we learn more. Mm. You know, I'll let you two gentlemen make your own thoughts, depending on the state or nationally, or, or just if, when we look back, I can say that wasn't done the best that we could have done. And that like, really, that set the standard for the trust or the lack of trust that the public had moving forward. It's, it's, a, it's a lack of capacity to truly communicate like to the entire audience. There's, a, there's an enormous amount of disarray because of the uneducated leading us into this fire. Personally, that's, is that not accurate? You, so the yeah. Department of Health had to bring you in. Let's just call it what it is. The Department of Health, Honolulu, had to bring you in as an outside epidemiologist to advise us on what was going on. And now they don't like your narrative because you're saying live life. Is that what's going on? So, yeah, just, you know, in, the, in case this makes the podcast. So to, to set the record straight, the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, HAIMA, recognized that we, there were a lot of questions 
a lot of decision points that needed to be made. And there was no information for them to make it because it was projecting, hey, what's going to happen in two weeks? Are we going to need to uh, to retrofit the convention center into a mass casualty center? And yeah. so DOH did not have the capacity to do any modeling. There was no inter- there was no modeling capacity within the state in terms of forecasting. So I was brought on to initiate the capacity to answer questions by the leadership to help inform very important decisions that would have had rippling effects. And and as such, my role evolved to the point where it wasn't just the modeling, but I would just communicate the up-to-date epidemiology of the time and not saying that, and definitely not saying I supplanted or replaced the state epidemiologist, which I definitely didn't, but I think it's fair to say that the way in which I communicated, at least to the policymakers, and when I was on the news, it was, I chose to communicate in a way that was presenting the facts in a clear manner without bringing in policy or any, any type of narrative, just, hey, here's what we know, because that's honestly what the news should be. And that's what the public wants to know is just what's going on here. What, what do we know? What do we not know? And then what are the best ways to protect ourselves in that given time? Mm-hmm. So what is your role now? Are you still? I, I After about four months, from, from April to July, I was officially, that my official role was the, the, the what was it? The, mod, the COVID-19 forecast and modeler for State of Hawaii. And then I went off to training in Texas. But throughout that time, I worked with some of my colleagues at UH to create what is now known as HIPAM, Hawaii Pandemic Applied Modeling Work Group, and, and built capacity working with grad students to where today we are the, by default, because we're the only one, we are the authoritative group that policymakers and the public turn to when it comes to, hey, what's, what are we going to look like in, in terms of cases and hospitalizations? Because that's still important, not saying that we are the end-all be-all, but in terms of just understanding and helping decision-makers and also individuals, knowing at least what might come in the next couple of weeks with Omicron, and we did that with Delta, it, it is helpful, right? Because it's not, an, it's not 100%, right. and sometimes not 60%, but it's better than nothing. And, and it's not just we're just randomly producing things. We incorporate, I work with a mathematician, a health data person, and then as an epidemiologist, we bring all of these things together because it's a huge algorithm of sorts where we have to consider everything. What most people are interested in, at least what I'm interested in, is what does the future look like? It's already been almost two years of this. Yeah. Everything, it feels like the numbers just keep going up and it seems like coronavirus is getting weaker as it's passed on through people and through different variants and going towards the flu where we get a shot every year just to possibly be vaccinated from that strand of flu. Uh, I don't know how I describe it, but if you had a crystal ball, what, what does <laughs> you know the end of 2022 look like for us? Are we maskless? Are we back to our quote unquote normal lives, like 
yeah. years ago before coronavirus? Yeah, that's a billion dollar question. Um, so let me start you know, with the facts in that the the chief of the WHO World Health Organization said 2022 is going to be the end of the pandemic. And I concur because what Omicron did is it accelerated our path towards COVID being endemic, right? Where it's herd immunity, right? Not necessarily herd immunity, but it's it's at a level where it's continually in the population, but we have the tools and the knowledge and the capacity where it shouldn't be overtaking our daily lives in the sense where we're focusing on daily case counts or even daily hospitalization counts. That's something me as a health expert, I'll still be tracking, but that's not something that the news should be pushing out. The public should be concerned about once again, because through either getting it, getting Omicron and or getting vaccinated and, and being fully vaccinated. And that's a whole nother discussion. I don't, I personally don't like the, the term boosted coupled with more and more approved, easier, early treatments to include just the whole broad spectrum, the Merck and the Pfizer pills, but just basic advanced, just there, there have been talks in some of the medical community about hydrochloroquine, but that's a whole nother issue. But there, there are more and more tools in the toolbox for us as a public and the medical profession as a whole, where we shouldn't be living in fear and it's going to end this pandemic. Now, this is yeah. for, for me. Much more hopeful horizon for oh, sure. Oh, 100%. When, so I, I guess, I don't know, am I off the wagon here? <laughs> Like, guys, this is the flu. It just was stronger. Like, pre-vaccine, like, But right. we stopped the world. I think the symptoms were a little bit more severe than flu initially, especially with people on ventilators. So, yes and no, Derek. I would say that Delta variant and the original strain definitely were more serious than the flu. Omicron, at least the early data, is indicating that it is mutating more towards the flu and also more like the common cold. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So once again, so... I cannot believe this. Just to set the record straight, right? Coronavirus and the flu, I'm sorry, and the cold, they're the same type of virus. It's like naming a chihuahua killer. You know what I mean? Like, True. bro, calling it Omicron, it sounds like he's going to come out of the sky with a Marvel comic. True. So once again, to get to your point about shutting down the world, hindsight is twenty twenty. I will say, even knowing what I know now, I'm okay with the initial, like the first month's reaction, right? Because once again, actually, no, I'm not okay. I can understand it, but I'm not okay. And, and I'll mention why I'm not okay. We didn't know much. So in abundance of caution, the whole world shut down. However, we should have let the science dictate and the data dictate. And as we learn more, we should have evolved it. And it was, and however, because there was so much fear and lack of trust already, the communication of what we knew about the original strain at the time was lost. And even if we, evolved our responses through policy, et cetera, 
it was too late. The reason why I said that, you know, why I, and I want to make sure the, why the public thinks that I think it shouldn't have happened was that I'm all about prevention in 2005, the world health organization convened a group and, and created a document that focused on pandemic response. Like what, like they war gamed and they war game every year. What's going to happen. Even two years ago, there was in 2017, there was a, a, a war game per se, just a tabletop exercise saying, what's going to happen if a, a novel virus, respiratory virus at a pandemic level were to impact the world. But yet we didn't take it seriously as a world because it costs it, 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 to, it costs a lot upfront to prevent, but which is why a lot of countries didn't invest in capacity to, to conduct surveillance and to do all those things. And then as a result was instead of spending 2 billion, we end up costing the world trillions of dollars in revenue and lives lost, et cetera. Right? So once again, I can understand why they shut it down. However, if we did the right things across the years, we shouldn't have had to, because we should have been able to respond with the speed that was necessary. It and sounds therefore, like poor leadership, bro. It, it sounds like not prioritizing and not, once again, do you focus on the target at hand or do you have the foresight to say, hey, the chances of this are possible and is it, am I willing to bite the political bullet and invest the capital up front and to avoid a hundred times paying in tenure and, 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 and not just the top of COVID, but as a civilian living in Hawaii, right? Not as my army role, I'm not talking about, you know, it's the same situation with Red Hill water. If we had fixed the problem. So once again, in World War II, we needed to do it out of just, the tanks were not meant to be there forever. It served its purpose. Now, as we had better technology, we should have adapted our, where we put it, but we didn't. And now we are paying financially with our health because we lack the ability to prevent it, to invest upfront. And now we're paying 10 to a hundred times both, both economically at, or financially and health wise. Let, let me, so let again, me, it comes on to leadership. Yeah. I don't want to. And, and that's where I wanted to get us off of. I could go on a soapbox about poor leadership and people who aren't bright and then we offend 90% of the world and blah, blah. Okay, let's just take a step back. I'm a parent of an eight-year-old kid who can't walk in public without his mask on because he's afraid. Tell me what's up. Tell me how I shouldn't want to like basically be like everyone else who's super against this. And again, a lot of them I think are for unsubstantiated stupid reasons. So just so yeah. we're clear, I know people get sick from this. It's just, you can't look at the general populace and say, all these kids are going to die and not one healthy child has died. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yes. So great points. And I agree with a lot of what you said. Children have died. So get that out of the way. However. Well, this, yeah, this, children this, have died. But let's take a sampling of 100 healthy kids we see on a playground. How many are going to die? Very, 
less less than two percent, probably less than one percent. Maybe not even one in that sampling. True, true. That's real numbers, right? That's true. So, but the message we're sending is these kids think they're gonna die if they get it. That is fucked up, and that's the first time I've sworn on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once again, don't disagree with that. I and this is why I think this theme of respect versus fear is so true to every single part of this response and how it's been communicated. We should, if our, if we did the right job to educate parents, then parents can educate their kids. We can say, Hey, if you're outdoors, right. And going back to your original example about keep about your son feeling scared and having to wear a mask outdoors. We know with right now, if you are outdoors, especially in Hawaii, you're not walking and you walk past someone who's not coughing. You have a healthy distance. You don't have to wear a mask. You can still feel safe, right? You're by yourself. He's outside by himself walking down the street. He doesn't have to wear a mask. I'm like, it's just He doesn't believe his own dad. That is messed up. And that is the public school system. And that is our political system in Hawaii. And once again, it, it comes down to at the top, trickling down the the way this has been communicated and, and how the public has been educated or lack of education for this. And, and when it comes to respect, and this is what I led with, it requires a basic, a base level of comprehension of what I personally believe to be basic facts about science. I'm not saying you have to be an expert. I'm not saying you have to even know the, the, the periodic table, but hopefully everybody knows what a cell is, what a virus is, and, and then being, being able to deduce that, hey, when you are outdoors in a hot environment and you cough, it's going to fall down. And if you're not coughing and you're just breathing, you're not transmitting the virus. So if you walk past someone, both of you guys are like at least three feet apart, you're not coughing, you don't, and you're not wearing a mask, you're 99.999% at least in Hawaii, not going to give COVID to each other if you even have it. And what we know now with Omicron is yes, while there's asymptomatic people, you for the vaccine individuals, you have to be symptomatic to transmit it in, in a direct interaction. So for Keegan, right, he if he's playing by himself outside on the street, there is no need to wear a mask. But once again, you look at why people are wearing a mask. It's because that's what they, that's what they were told to do, but that's because when the the decision makers had to figure out policy, they couldn't make it nuanced. They had to make it black or white because it had to be easy for the public to understand. And that's been the issue from day one is that this whole thing is not black and white. But if you communicate in a way where people can understand and if people have the capacity to understand nuance, that's not an issue. But I think you two gentlemen can put two, two together in terms of what I'm saying is that 
we lack currently the capacity to understand nuance. And I'm not taking a lot, I'm talking a lot about we just simple gradients of yes, it's not black or white, but if we break it down clear enough, you can understand when it's gray or dark gray or light gray. But I just cannot even believe I, I actually have lost respect for a lot of my doctor friends. Not you, obviously. But it's because many doctors lack the capacity of free thought. Am I wrong? I, I'm not. I have never seen it clearer in this world as today that, that a doctor could be so ignorant with regards to like at least objectively looking at someone else's side. No one's even looking at other studies. It's bananas. So I will say that I, I was just reading the news today and, and an expert, a national expert, just said that the fear is that we are losing compassion for the unvaccinated. And, and I agree because we don't, there are multiple reasons why people are unvaccinated, right? And we have to understand, you know, at, at all, we are one human race. We can't be divisive about this, right? The only way through this is to get work together with the entire population and to just move forward. And the more we create divide, oh, you're vaccinated, you're not vaccinated. That means you're terrible if you're unvaccinated. No, that's not true. There are multiple reasons. We have to understand them, accept them, and then recognize, hey, what is the current situation? How do we work together to keep everybody safe? Well, and what, so. About the vaccinated though, like what about those guys that got vaccinated and then supposedly some people are healthy and having heart issues? Is that real? Yeah. So Johnson and Johnson, so CDC last, I think it was last week, they are changing, they changed the recommendation where it used to be you, Moderna, Pfizer, or J&J. Now they're recommending if you can get Moderna or, or, or Pfizer because of some concerns over myocarditis or J&J. Right. What is myocarditis? So that's just inflammation of the heart to, to, to keep it simple. So once again, I'm not, I understand why, and I agree at the time why we pushed out three, three different vaccines. We, what's, and I said, based on the, the data that we had after nine months of study, it appeared safe. But the good thing about science is we continue to evaluate over time with new data. That's what we should do. Right? We shouldn't just say, okay, six, nine months of data is good. We're not, we're, we're going to close our ears, cover our eyes, and whatever happens, we're going to say it's fine. No, what, what happened is good science. We saw relative to the people, number of people who were getting JNJ, a percentage of them were experiencing myocarditis, and it was high enough where the benefits of getting the JNJ vaccine did not outweigh the potential risk of getting myocarditis. Now, it's not that great, but the reason why I suspect CDC and FDA made the decision was because of there's now a wide abundance of both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Now, because in the past, remember when vaccines first came out, they were still, they had a lot of issues ramping up production. So 
with the data that we had, three safe vaccines, J&J, Pfizer, Moderna, they're like, okay, let's just get it. Let's get it in the market. And this is just me speaking just hypothetically based on my guesses. They're all effective. J&J worked a different mechanism. So people were allergic to Moderna or Pfizer. They had an option. Now with a year's worth of data, we're able to refine, which is what we should do. And that's what they did. So yes, there is a risk, but there's always a risk. So once again, and even back in the day when the vaccines first came out and when we first talked, I said, there's always a risk, both, both for getting it and for not getting it. It's up to the individual to make that risk calculus themselves, but it's also up to health experts to communicate that risk clearly so that the individuals can make that informed decision. That doesn't sound like reality at all. That doesn't sound like anything I hear on the radio. The rare times I listen to it, that doesn't sound like the news. That doesn't match up with what we see globally. What is going on? And why is it that Hawaii, it's almost like nature is on display. An extremely keep your head down Asian mentality state is masked in the warmest, theoretically most survivable weather, if you get this. And like in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, it could be like total snow and there, there's no mask in the grocery store. What mm -hmm. is going on? That How are we acceptable to this? Like, how is this narrative being allowed? Do, do, don't you sit in this boardroom and look at these people and be like, how do you go home and sleep at night? So this is where, so I'll bring, I'll bring my own personal. So I, I'm not a policymaker and, and I'm not, and I don't work for state government. And so in a sense, that's really good because I can stay out of the political fray, but in a sense, that's bad because I don't have the, there's besides my, you know, being wanting to be altruistic, there is no personal vested need for me to get into it because I, I frankly I, I hate politics right I, I am here to provide information to save lives through providing information I'm out of position but I don't know, think you hated politics two years ago that's the thing though I've known you a long time it's just I, I've seen so I've seen the the lack the inaction and the consequences of that but in my heart I'm like I, I think about, okay, what happens if I were to work for the state? Would I be able to make change? And the sad thing is, I'm not sure. Not because of the lack of drive or passion that I have for making your state better. It's just, I think it, it's clear. You look at any entity, it is incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for an individual to make that make a change, cultural change impact because of the institution, the mindset that's been ingrained over decades. I'm not just talking about the state of Hawaii. I'm just talking, and I'm sure this is present throughout multiple state agencies across our, our country. It, it's incredibly difficult. And so for me, as a parent of a, of a newborn, as much as I want to make change, I also have to balance, hey, if I were to be in a position like that, it would destroy my, my family. I want to be a father. I want to be a good husband. And as much as I want to improve the way it's communicated, the way our policymakers are educated, 
our response. Selfishly, I'm looking out for my family and myself. So that's that balance. Talk, and, and but to get back to why I don't like politics, it's just it, on both sides, a lack of the ability to just listen to experts without any bias, without any agenda and doing what's right for the community. You can be Republican, you can be Democrat. I don't care. That shouldn't impact how you view the pandemic because it's science. It's not right leaning or left leaning. It's just, you should do what's right within the law. That that's my personal opinion. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. Hey, let's take this a little in a different direction and talk a little bit about you, Thomas. Epidemiology and the study of it's come study is the study for yeah. this pandemic. Dr. Fauci is like a rock star now. And so are you yeah. in your little world in Hawaii and, and surrounding areas. What, why do you do what you do? Good question. I think at the base, the core of it is I'm an educator at heart, soon to be former professor at UH. Oh, I'm nice. leaving UH at the end of January to pursue oh, not other nice, opportunities. No, no. And, and, and I'm okay with everybody knowing that now, but at the end of the day, I'm an educator. I want, I love to teach and this, I got into this, I think the first foray and this is before COVID hit Hawaii was back in March, there was a student who was doing for a newscast. She was like, Hey, can I just interview you about COVID It's for my project for UH and it's going to go on UH news. I'm like, sure. And so I started with that and then UH news picked up. And then I did a, a YouTube thing for a professor who was doing a better series tomorrow with UH and it just, it just escalated from there in a good way. But it's really, I wanted my students first and foremost, and my community to just understand what's going on. And then it evolved to how can I use my expertise in a professional manner to, to better the state. But it's really, I want, I, I, I like to get the information out in a way that people understand. And I think that's the core of it. I recognize I'm not a provider. I can't save lives by training patients, but the benefit to being in public health and being an epidemiologist, I can have impact on thousands of people. And that's the, and that was, that's the difference between a provider and public health experts is we focus on different priorities. Each priority is important. We need both. But what I like is, Hey, what I say, some of the modeling that we do can impact thousands with, with a 30 second soundbite or with mm -hmm. a glance of our projections. So what's like the simple English soundbite, like as far as what you feel needs to be said as an educator right now. Simple soundbite is let's recognize what Omicron is. And I think there's what a whole list it? of things. What is Omicron? It? It's COVID. However, it's a cold. It is evolving towards our, what we understand a code to be. Okay. So code is mm -hmm. coronavirus, obviously coronavirus, you know, so. Right, right, right. As it mutates, and we suspected this six months ago, barring any unforeseen circumstances, it will continue to mutate to a point where it becomes highly infectious. But 
very survivable the code is, right? Put in perspective, do we look at daily case counts of the code? Do we test for the code? No. Do we look at daily case counts for the food? Do we test like this for the food? No. We still do this for COVID, understandably so, but we should be already with the information that we have. I suspect we will, we should, and I said this with Delta, right? We should be getting to the point if we're not there already today. And I think we should, we're pretty close to the point where we shouldn't be putting the daily case counts on a pedestal. We should still be monitoring hospitalizations. But at this point, you know, when, when people are like, hey, there's 4,000 cases in Hawaii, I'm like, okay, let's not just look at the cases. Let's look at the percent positivity. If the percent positivity continues to increase, that is a little concerning because that means that a lot of people are testing positive of the ones that are getting tested. But let's put the, let's also put that in perspective, right? How many of them are vaccinated? Maybe 70%. We don't know. Unfortunately, I don't have the information for the Hawaii, for Hawaii. But they're like, let's just, let's make up a number. Let's just say 60% of people getting COVID right now are vaccinated. I'm like, they're like, Dr. Lee, that means vaccines don't work. I'm like, no, that doesn't mean that. If you look at the hospitalizations, right now, about 45% of all hospitalizations in Hawaii are vaccinated. They're going to be like, see, that's even more proof vaccines don't work. I'm like, that's not true. What we're seeing is the length of stay for vaccinated individuals are much shorter than unvaccinated. And there is nobody in the ICU currently who is vaccinated. So once again, the impact is less severe. 115,000 around active cases in Hawaii. 126 or give or take. That's 0 0.007, 0 0.006 plus or minus that percentage point. So 0. 0.6 to 0.8% of all active cases have gotten hospitalized. That is extremely small. Now, is that to say that we shouldn't be concerned? If you're a if you're healthcare worker, yes, the differences. But once again, we're talking about nuances. But as a whole, this is not Delta. We are not seeing a 3 to 4% hospitalization rate. And as we move further, we should continue to see the trend in that direction i don't know i see i thomas it just i don't want to get back on the bandwagon so if, if, if you listen to what i'm saying am i pushing that covid's omicron is not something to be taken seriously that's not what i'm saying what i'm stating is the facts i'm stating what we know and i will be the first one to admit that I'm wrong. And if something that I said is wrong in two weeks, I'll say, yeah, we were wrong. We didn't know. Now here's what we, here's what's changed. Here's how we're evolving our approach to it. Because I only know what I know based on other states. Cause we don't only have, we have limited information in the state, but I'm not saying don't take it seriously. I'm saying we know it's less severe than Delta. We know it's more infectious, but as a whole, it's becoming more and more like the flu and the cold. So that being said, let's not live in fear. Let's re let's respect it. Like in, in the world that we should exist yes. in. Mm -hmm. Let's not take my world. And I, again, like people don't mistake my, my passion for something as like, I just, I, I, I just offended by yeah. how so, yeah. people I, I know, are acting. Yeah. I know you're not anti-vax. I know you're not anti-science. I, I have the vax. Yeah. I, I, what, what, correct me if I'm wrong, what you are pushing is for free thought, for informed decisions, for 
the ability to act and think freely. I'm actually not pushing for free thought anymore on this subject because <laughs> what I have found out today is that Omicron is likely to be leading towards a cold level of morbidity, which probably is tantamount to the same morbidity it currently holds, which is less than 1%. That's what I heard in my English from you. Yeah. Is that wrong? That's, no, that's not wrong. Okay. So what I just said was you got a chance to die from the cold, just like you got a chance to die from Omicron and the odds are close, but we're masked up like we're a bunch of Nazis going around asking for papers and it's a dangerous game because yeah. it shows how many people can be controlled. And the worst part is it could be similar to like cannabis where suddenly when you actually have a real threat, people think cannabis is like heroin. So they're going to take the next real threat if there is one ever, and they're going to say this is BS like Omicron, and then we're in real trouble. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. And, and once again, to look at this holistically and take a step back, this is because we as a society have lost the ability as individuals, but then it, it builds up as a collective to look at things with an educated mind, think critically and draw our own conclusions. So we rely on narratives that are pushed in social media, pushed in mainstream news. And then we spout that versus, hey, let's take the time to look at some of the data for cannabis. Does it really lead to huge addictions? What are the costs? What are the, ben what are the drawbacks? Let's compare that to, to opioids, right? Should cannabis be a class one controlled substance? All these questions, we see narratives pushed when in fact, if people took the time to read studies that are not that complex. They're in English. They are in English. <laughs> yeah. And then to understand the science, to understand the data, and then couple that with, hey, why are certain people pushing a narrative? Oh, they're funded by big pharma or they're funded by a certain entity. Yeah, man. But, but we've lost that ability, uh -huh. I think, as a society to, to think that way. And it, 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 uh, there's a lot of reasons for that and more so than I'm probably qualified to talk to. But there's a lot of social economic disparities that result in decreased education levels as a whole. And, and that has rippling effects our lack of ability. Yeah, it does. So once again, it's it, the problem, the root of the problem is much deeper than our ability to think critically. That's what, that's a symptom that's manifesting, but the causes of that yeah. are much deeper. So what's next for you and your field? Like there's so much disbelief that will be attached to everyone involved with this. So what's new for you? Remember we're like, and just to defend ourselves very early onset, naturally we were all in that state, like you said, where we were a little fearful. Then you and I had discussed like different logical directions advising on this. And then naturally we came to the conclusion that maybe we can just unbox for everybody, which is it's not, it's maybe dangerous because you're kind of like pandering to making money off of sickness. And I think that just tastefully, if I can say anything tastefully on this episode, we don't have to go into that big pharma thing, but just as an educator, as an epidemiologist, does the medicinal 
does the medical community feel the frustration that many of it seems that your esteemed colleagues feel about this? That That's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. You guys don't talk about it amongst your friends? Hey, is this real? Is this what's going on here? No. So, so in terms of nationally, what I can say is I'm concerned when I hear colleagues on both sides saying, oh, this, this isn't real or also, or overreacting. How, yeah, I got it. Same. I, I get that. Totally agree. So they're not looking at it like how you guys do, how you're supposed to. Because, and so, and I understand, I empathize for the nurses, the PAs, the docs, the therapist, the respiratory therapists in the hospitals. Yeah, they are exposed every day and therefore their safety. And I understand that. So once again, I, I, I want them to be protected and I want people to protect them. And that's where I get frustrated when there are people who disregard and don't respect COVID for what it is. And then put themselves and then put my colleagues in the, in the hospitals and the, the clinics at risk because they didn't respect COVID. But on the same time, on the same token, you have people who are too fearful of it and then push that message. They're like, we need to shut down again. Or we, whatever the flavor message of, of the day is on the, the ultra conservative side, right? There, there, there has to be a balance. There has to be a continual evolution of the messaging based on updated information. And, and these are highly educated people who are on both sides. And so I, I, I don't think we should use that so freely anymore. The word highly educated. I'm the least educated person on this call. And I can tell you, I know more what's going on right now than everyone else. Like not everyone else, but half the people I would say. And I don't know much, but I just know that not a lot of people are dying. And I'm not highly educated. What's messed up is what about for all of us that are just like normal, trying to walk through the life and be like decently thoughtful. We don't have choices. Mm -hmm. That's what's up. We don't have choices right now. So as an educator, what I'm seeing consistently through my clients who are educators, you guys get frustrated with the system and you resign. Frustrated the system and resign. Like pulling back and not because I know Cliff's been trying this whole podcast to get us away from this and more about you. Like you as an educator, as a dad, as a parent, as a husband, like you're a highly intelligent person and highly educated. And I don't have that combined narrative. So when you're leading your family and your wife's in public health too, right? Like what is the next step here? What is, what can we learn from this? It's almost at that point already. Let's be honest. What can yeah. we learn from this? And how do you, how do you grow into existing? Because it's really frustrating for me to hear polar on both sides to your point. Yeah. So what I have learned is from this response, just doing, just, just looking at it is you have people who are highly skilled, technically proficient in the fields of science. But what this has exposed is as experts, they are turned to by policymakers. However, a lot of these technically skilled experts in medical and science 
are not trained to be leaders. They're not trained to communicate, to look at the whole picture, look at the, the strategic perspective. Right? And, and, and because of that, the way they message puts themselves and puts the policymakers at a huge disadvantage. And then that impact, we see that impact at the individual level. So what I've learned is for, pe for medical professionals, scientists who are in leadership positions, advisory positions, they need to not just be technically proficient, but they need to have either training or be skilled communicators, educators, but I think above all, be leaders because that's what's required. They need to stand up and say, no, what, you're, what you want to push out, that's not correct. Here's what you should be saying. Here's the perspective you should be sharing with the community. But I think it's clear at a national level, at a local level, that that wasn't the case. So what I'm hopeful for is as this podcast comes out, as I, as my former students and hopefully future students take, take as a next generation, they rise to these positions. They will remember, you know, what I say, what I try to impart is you need to empathize. You need to be leaders. You can't just be smart. That's not enough. And, and you can't just be educated. Exactly. That's a cop-out, man. That's a cop-out that a lot of people use to stomp out other people's opinions. And it's being so, on yeah. display right now. And so one of, one of the best traits, one of the important traits of being a leader is to understand, to empathize, to make sure you do not alienate. And I think we all can agree that all those all those three things occurred or, you know, yeah, alienation right, occurred. Right, yeah. The lack of empathy was there. And so they're public you know, shaming. There, there are areas of the world where they're public shaming people about this COVID thing. That's crazy, man. But we see that with cannabis. We see that with a lot of things. And it's, it just comes down to, I personally think, I know we didn't, we don't want to talk too much about it, but a lot of what has happened has come from not a lack of understanding of COVID because we, as a world, we collaborated unlike any other time in, in history when your it comes to scientific. Your data was solid, man. And you're predicting and forecasting. We, we talk often, guys. You weren't wrong. You just weren't being heard. But it's, but more so, right? What, what I, I don't want to be, that, that, but that's what people, people are like, oh, when your model is wrong, they're like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. Like, no, we're saying what could happen if we don't change. Right. But we didn't change. So, so therefore our models were right. But I'm like, but that's not the point of we, we want to be wrong first and right. foremost. Right. But also if you look at any of the interviews that, that my colleagues and I have done, we are trying to speak the truth of the day with no strings attached and what I often get asked is, why are you guys doing it? Why isn't, why are we hearing this from our department of health? Yeah. And I'm saying, that's a good question. I know they're busy. I'm not going to speak for them, but great question. It's Omicron. I'm just teasing. But it could be, but, but that's important, right? Just 
people don't know that because they're not being told that. Or well, we don't know told. that that could possibly be. That's fair. That's more fair. We it's don't know fair, that but, it could possibly be that. But what what should be said is, here's what we know. It's it's mutating to a point where it's much more infectious, less severe. Here's the numbers in the state of Hawaii. And, and so I, I will guarantee you, and then you have the max for that, for that particular discussion, 45% of the vaccinated are, are in the hospital. But what we don't know is, hey, 80% of them could be obese, diabetic, combination of that. So it's not the fact that they're vaccinated that lands them in the hospital. It's the fact that they're unhealthy in other ways. So the vaccine can only do so much to protect you. If you're not protecting yourselves by being healthy, eating right, doing all those things. If you have heart disease, diabetic, overweight, all those things, you're already putting yourself at a disadvantage. There's only so much science can do. But I, so I want people to understand that because you have anti-vax, you have pro-vax, there needs to be a middle ground. And, and as an educator, that's where I like to live. But yeah, it's, uh, or for me, I, my goal every time I'm on the news is just to try to present the best science and to, we try to have a calming effect. We, we recognize there are narratives at play that people try to get us to commit one side or the other. And hopefully for the most part, we've dodged and just say, you know what, we're not policymakers, but here's what we know. And here's what you can do or shouldn't do. I mean, I've always, we could go on and on about this. It's like a never ending conversation because this pandemic has just been going on and on, but Hey, dude, we really appreciate your time. I always feel uh, all the knowledge talk. that you've shared with us uh, and all the energy spent talking to, to us about it. We're obviously in a different spot now that that's the end of 2021, mm. as we speak here today, there's oh. more information and hopefully there's going to be a better future for us all. We hopefully we take some learnings from this and become better people through it. I know I, I feel you, Derek, man. <laughs> it's been like a big social experiment. I don't know the, if you guys the do masking and you know I, I don't know if you guys really do though. Because both <laughs> of you I don't know if you do because it because we all live different lives. Right? Like what am I trying to say? The detriment that, that COVID has caused, it's literally destroyed some families, man. You know what oh, I mean? For sure. Yeah, like it's I literally know. destroyed some people's existences. Mm -hmm. It's been the best years we've ever had, like for our businesses and stuff. But that's like really dark. And the reasoning of what everything's going on, man, I guess what I'm hoping that this gets across to people is throughout this whole time talking to Thomas, since the beginning of this, you never got away with feeling like you didn't have a plan when you talked to Delta. Okay. You got to mask up a little bit. Omicron. All right. Let's just see what's happening. As Delta adjusted, we adjusted, but you didn't shut down life. It. I don't know where this is going to lead for when something really happens. That's real. That's really what's up. You know what I mean? And the really what I think people need to do, just like how I'll apologize right now. I shouldn't have swore on the podcast. I think the politicians and everyone needs to pivot a little bit and say, hey, 
sorry, but we didn't really know. And that'd probably be better received than anything else. And then we can start looking at things that really work, like that hydro, whatever, and ivermectin, all that kind of stuff. Where am I totally off on that, Thomas? I think no. Like, so, you you got to give a message, man. What's the billboard of the day that you hope that really that was your hope, right? When yeah. You were, my, my, when you were speaking every time, take something from this, like you can still live your life. Yeah, exactly. I'll go back to what I started with. If people take the effort to respect whatever, it doesn't have to be COVID. It can be whatever they're doing. Let's just put, let's put COVID so we're talking about COVID. If they just take the time to respect it, they will be free of fear individually because, but once again, there, there's political thing, there's policy that they have to follow. However, I'm not saying don't, you know, don't break the law. However, as a collective, and this includes our leaders, if everybody took the time to respect COVID, I think we'll be in a different place. So what does the, you know, 2022 look like for you? Personally? All of it, really. Are you just like shifting energy out of this? Are you, what are you ch channeling energy to? I was, I was hopeful. And then Omicron came in then. The last two weeks I've been on vacation, but not really on vacation. <laughs> so what I will say is I still hope to be involved in COVID, but not in the daily response. What we're hoping for is to create capacity for detection and surveillance for the state and the Pacific. So what I'm really crossing my fingers for is working with my colleagues to get funding to, to create the capacity for a formal formalized group that is not just out of the labor love. So FYI, all the work that my group, my, my, my colleagues have been doing unfunded labor, labor of love, no formal backing by the state, but yet we've been, our work has been adopted and picked up by state policymakers. Could you um, share that website again for us all? Yeah. Yeah. Hypam.org, H-I-P-A-M.org. And we have, it's not just the, the forecast, but we do put out some educational stuff about basic stuff about COVID. But once again, we're hoping to focus on the future and to prevent a, a huge blow up that we saw with COVID in the Pacific. So that's our focus to, to move away. We'll still do the daily response, but it, it's looking more and more apparent that we'll have the ability sooner than later to work on building capacity. So that's how we're going to stay tied into COVID. Um, for me, professionally, I'm leaving university, focusing on working with a nonprofit to still working at improving health and, and well-being, but through data capacity and data synchronization across and within the state. So that, that's what I'm excited for. I'm excited for spending more time with my family. That's a big reason why I'm changing, uh, changing career paths, because what I've learned from COVID is perspective what's truly important and obviously family has always been, but it's really opened my eyes. The amount of time that I spent away from family really refocused my need to spend more time to be present, but still be able to find balance uh, when possible. So that's what 2020 is looking like for me. Hopefully more golf. I took a break, but, <laughs> but I, I got the bug again. I noticed. That's probably won't be happy, but, but more and more balance and just hopefully talking to you gentlemen about something other than COVID because there's lots to talk about from an epi point of perspective. Like what? Like what is there? 
to talk about? I don't know anything about epidemiology. Like, what is there okay, to so talk about other than this? I can talk about any health outcome because that's really what epi is. It's a study of what causes health outcomes, both positive and negative. We can talk about, should we legalize marijuana? We, we can talk about, you know, How about the big, mass thing, like pharma. psychological damage on the mass. Thing. We, we, we can definitely talk about that because I guarantee you there's studies going on right now that are looking at the long-term impacts on development and psychological impacts on both ch children and adolescents and adults on long-term mask wearing across cultures. You know, I don't have the answers now, but I guarantee you there are scientists that are studying that right now and will continue to look at the long-term health impacts. That positive. Probably, no, that's, that's definitely I'm not. just speculating definitely. as a non-educated individual. Like, it can't be positive. No. So there's there's a lot. There, there's a lot we, we, we can talk about because everything type goes back to health. So what do you tell your daughter? Because this year she'll be thinking and talking a lot more. What do you tell her about all this? I'll tell her the facts. I'll start from the beginning and just walk her through it. But see, that I don't think will work. That's kind of like the argument I get in with my family about Keegan's age. But you still need to tell them. You need to guide them a little. So you got to just tell her what's up. What's the message of the day? What I'll tell her is, hey, this is a disease, but it's not based on your age. If you do the right things, you're not going to die from it. 99.999% of the time, right? There's always a chance, but most likely you're not. But 99.99% is Six Sigma, and that's technically 100. Yeah. That's factually almost like 100. Yeah. So, so what I'll tell her is go play with your friends. If they're all vaccinated, go play with them. Right? What if they're not, though? Seriously, not. is that a threat? It, 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 it depends on their parent, if, if the kids, if they're outdoors, right? So there are certain things and depend you versus me, we, we might make different decisions, but once again, we have different tolerances for risk. I'm sure Cliff has too. That doesn't make us wrong. We're just following our instincts as our parents, but we make that decision based on a shared understanding of the possibilities. Would be uneducated though, to not allow kids to play due to vaccination requirement. Don't you think, based on the data currently, it would be absolutely, it sounds foolish. Sure, sure. But once again, you have parents who are completely risk averse and you have parents who are the opposite. But then I would, I would say that they should suffer under psychological review if they're worried for their kids' social awareness and, and they're allowing that choice to be made by a death mortality rate of 0.6. That True. You're, you're, you shouldn't parent. Life is dangerous. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Once again, I'm not about telling people what to do, right? At the end of the day, yeah. it's, their, it's their choice. I'm so, see, it makes me so polar because everything else is so polar. That's what's so crazy about it, man. Anyway, so 2022, new business, anything else you can share with us about all that? It sounds exciting. Just... Yeah, Come on, uh, man. give us a spoiler. What's the next? What's the next one? Is it Zelda? What's coming up? Like, what's the next, like, fear demic? There shouldn't be one if we're if we've learned our lesson. No, that's not real. But there's are there really gnarly colds coming up? Are there things that like because there's things you guys are always studying, right? Yeah, I mean, well, okay. I so if you look at history, the huge pandemics have always come 
every 50 years, right? 1918 and then 1958 or about, you know, 1950 something. I can't remember off the top of my head. And then 2020. My prediction is we're going to get one sooner than that. Hmm. Whether it be 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we don't know because so much of this is tied to how much we disrupt nature. But it's going to happen sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And if we're not prepared, if we're not focused on prevention, investing in the right capabilities and capacities. Or just refunding the money now towards that, right? Yeah. Like why spend it all on Omicron, the cold? Yeah. So uh, that that's my prediction. Okay. We're, we're what going could it to... be like? That sounds so scary. Is it going to be like Venom out of Marvel? No. It, like, what's it going to be, be like? It's going to be another respiratory virus. Oh, man. But then if it's real, okay. Oh, man. That's so tough, man. But that's real life, right? And so the reason why I say that is, right, people think Ebola. They're like, oh, my. They're super scared. I'm like, okay. scientists aren't really scared of Ebola because we know every we know 99.9% about there is to know about how it's transmitted, oh, okay. the mortality rate, right? It's yeah. HIV now, frankly. It is, right? Know? So the more time we have, the, the better we understand. Yeah. When Ebola first came out, oh my God, the response HIV was too. equally right. or worse than what we saw with COVID because the mortality rate for Ebola was real. Was over 90%. That was real. Yeah. You, however, you get it, you're done. The silver lining is because you die so quickly, your chances of spreading it were low. So it never got the chance to become to a pandemic. Mm, level mm, mm. but anything respiratory has that capability given you can go i can go to norway within a day so that's scary so if you had like a ebola omicron combo and they made a baby that could be really bad could be but ebola is blood blood borne right? oh, okay. so it's much harder to transmit again so, i'm uneducated no it's just it's not in our it's it's not in our continent, so we don't really know we don't really take the time. Like that theoretically could like come out of nature. Right? Theoretically, yeah, anything's possible in nature. We've seen it, and then we'll pray for vaccines. I get it at that point. Yeah, what we should pray for is good science and good leadership and good communication. Yes, but, but, but Thomas, um, thank you so much for joining no us problem. again here today. We appreciate you and everything you shared with us. Yeah, hopefully it'll help you guys. So message of the day, bro. Like you got a billboard, just like one sentence. It's on H2, H1, H2 merge. What are you putting on there? Life is short, enjoy. Life is short, enjoy. All right. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Fascinating People. If you enjoyed it, would you mind sharing it with a friend or a family member? And if you haven't already, please give us a rating and your comments. We'd really appreciate it. And that's it for today. We'll see you next time. Aloha and mahalo.